0: mm mm-hmm. Welcome back, bass players and musicians of the world at large. It is episode 16 of the Better Bass Podcast. My name is Wyatt Walker Ware, and today I wanted to talk about a few things that I learned from Pino Palladino and some principles of groove that I've kind of I, I've broken down by spending a lot of time transcribing and learning lines from Pino. I've probably spent more time learning Pino's bass lines and learning Pino's vocabulary, sort of note for note, word for word, than I have with any other bass player. And I wanted to kind of break down Pino's concept a little bit, at least the way that I view it, the way that I experience it, and how it's helped me develop some ideas that I can practice and expand upon that and uh incorporate some of Pino's concept into my own playing. So when I think about Pino, the first thing that comes to mind is his sound, right? It's it's iconic. It's been iconic since the, the era of Pino being a completely unknown studio musician. It's very, very recognizable. It is deep. It is precise. It is unbelievably consistent. And I think A large part of Pino's sound and what sets him apart from other bassists in the sound department is the level of attention that is paid to every single note that he plays. And this didn't really click for me until I actually watched him on video. I saw some of the videos from the recent releases, the uh, Notes with Attachments album, Pino and Blake Mills. If you haven't heard that, it's a fantastic record. It's a really cool, like, I almost want to call it modern jazz, even though it's not... Um, It's a really, really cool record. But anyways, seeing some of those videos made me realize that the attention that Pino plays to the attack and to the sustain of each note, and the precision with which he executes this stuff. He was playing fretless in one of these videos, and I noticed when he wanted to connect notes, he would actually stretch his hand to the next note. And allow it to really get its full value as he was crossing a string. Get that absolutely perfect connection between the two pitches instead of shifting. Leaving his hand relaxed and making a shift. The difference is almost imperceptible. There might be a little bit of an extra string noise in there or something to that effect. But... That is the level of detail that Pino puts into his sound, and that is the level of detail and the level of attention that he puts into his tone production, and I really think there's something to be learned there. I can't say I always do that. I'm a much more notey bass player, typically, and that results in a few things getting swallowed and a few notes getting lost here and there, but when I practice like that, I find it really, really rewards my sound, and it really opens up a lot of things, opens up a lot of concepts on the bass opens up a lot of vocabulary and a lot of ideas that wouldn't be there otherwise. And of course, that little example of the shifting and the string crossing is just one aspect. It's in it's in Pino's right hand, it's in everything that he plays, but just that concept, that level of attention to the attack and to the sustain of the note and to the release of the note— Mind you, getting no, no extraneous noises on the release, making sure all of the notes are released consistently in the same part of the beat in a groove that's repeating itself. All this put together is really what sets Pino's sound apart. And having just pure tone production on this level allows you to get away with playing a lot less. And that's why I think of Pino as kind of a, a minimalistic bass player is because this tone allows him to just kill you with one note, right? Pino can just murder the audience, can just blow the roof off the whole venue with one single note, especially with the level of precision that he has. And that's the second part of this, is that listening to Pino and learning Pino's lines taught me that groove and making a groove slap, making it hit, making it feel great— comes primarily from two things its precision and repetition precision in being so ridiculously synchronized with the drummer that your attacks are one right that's the the effect that i was trying to replicate as i was playing the intro of this that was a uh, a groove that i was practicing over a drum loop that i was practicing over for a while earlier today just trying to get as precise as possible play as few notes as i need to to get a really, really precise lock-in with all the notes of the drums, not just the kick. Pino does not only lock in with the kick drum. Of course he does lock in with the kick drum. But if you listen to uh, even him in contrasting styles, when he's playing R&B stuff, Pino and Questlove together, the D'Angelo rhythm section when he's playing like rock blues, the, the John Mayer trio with Pino and Steve Jordan... Pino really synchronizes his sound and really synchronizes his attack with every part of the drum kit. It's the cymbal, it's the hi-hat, it's the snare, it's not just about the kick drum. It's about everything going on. And that degree of precision in the groove means that the tiniest change that Pino makes is really, really noticeable and really impactful. This is another concept, is that choosing not to play a note Choosing to remove one note from a groove when you are repeating it with that level of precision has the same effect as playing a fill. It can punctuate a phrase with just as much impact to just leave one or two notes out of the groove than it could to, than it could to play some blistering fill at the end of the thing. And oftentimes it's just more musically appropriate to do something like that. When you play a big fill, when you play something with a bunch of notes in it, when you play. When you play that, you risk stepping on what's happening harmonically. If your piano player decides to go for some chord sub at the end of the phrase, they decide to throw some extra progression in there you just stepped all over it because you continued to play what what key am i in c minor? Yeah, c minor. You continued to play c minor over the end of that whole idea and they played a flat minor to d flat 7 to get back to the c. Oh no, you just crapped all over it and you made it sound like somebody was wrong, right? It's a lot lower risk play to do something like this. I'm going to get this drum loop going so I have a little context here. This is another one I've been working with today. Let it go through once. See how just playing the same thing three times and then altering it by leaving out two notes has a huge impact on the way that the phrase feels and the punctuation of the phrase and how that just leads into a new section of the song, like you almost want to hear a big cymbal crash there after I just leave out those two notes. And I'm obviously not as precise of a bass player as Pino. Nobody is, in my opinion. I'm not that good. I'm not that consistent. But even at my level of execution, even at the level of execution you hear with me going off the cuff on all of this on this podcast, it still has a ton of musical impact even recorded, not even live. When you get to a live situation and the audience can really feel the bass and they've become accustomed to feeling that, every bar goes by a few times and you even leave out one. And it comes back. It's huge. It's a hugely impactful musical moment that takes... Really zero technique to execute, right? The the not playing, the act of not playing is the least technical thing that we can do on the bass, and oftentimes it's the most musically appropriate. And that's the other thing. I know there's the, the classic cliche is that, oh, it's not about the notes you play, it's about the notes you don't play, but sometimes the groove truly is about where you choose not to play. And the groove will be impacted more by where you choose not to play than where you do choose to play. So the ultimate question here, of course, is how do we apply any of this? How do we practice this stuff? How do we learn to groove more like Pino? And the answer lies in a lot of things that I've talked about before on this podcast, and maybe just getting a little more specific. Maybe getting a little more specific and getting a little more into some fine details and really, really precise listening. What I've been doing, what I've been practicing the last few days that I'm already starting to feel some results from, maybe not hear results from, but feel results from, is I've been recording myself like usual, but I've been using these drum loops that the couple that I was referencing earlier and a whole, I've got a, I've got a whole library of drum loops. These are actually ones that I found online, uh, funklet.com. Jack Stratton of Wolfpack, I think, created this, and it's got a got the sampled loops that he's kind of sequenced out of some very common funk grooves from legendary drummers. There's some Zigaboo on here, there's some James Gadson, there's Questlove on here, there's Stevie Wonder grooves, fantastic resource, funklet.com. I've been using these loops, some of the other ones I have, and really committing to the first idea that I come up with so that it's the most genuine expression of of what I think, of how I hear a groove, and just playing the same thing over and over again for 10 or 15 minutes or even 20 or 25 minutes and making it as precise and consistent as I can the whole way through. And recording myself, then listening back, then finding where the inconsistencies are, and starting it all over again, starting the process all over again. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to start this right now. Obviously, I won't bore you with myself playing the same thing over and over for 10 minutes. But here's uh, here's some Tony Allen. I've never heard this groove before. I'm just going to let it go by a couple times and I'm going to try to get an, uh, get a good idea here. I'm doing my best to be as consistent to the first idea as possible. I'm just looping myself. That's it. I'm going to play the first idea that comes to mind. I'm going to allow myself to meditate on it. I'm going to loop it. I'm going to play it over and over, and I'm going to get it, hopefully, over the course of myself playing it for 10 or 15 minutes, I'm going to get it as precise as I can hear. Then I'm going to go back and review it. I'm going to record myself and listen to the recording. I'm going to go back and review it and see where the inconsistencies are. Oh, maybe I'm dragging that second 16th note. Maybe I'm rushing that second 16th note. Maybe all of my ghost notes are a little bit behind. Maybe the second 16th note is a little bit louder in the fir- than the first in a way that's awkward. I'm going to get into that level of detail. Maybe the notes aren't quite connected enough. Maybe just one of the ghost notes on a certain part of the beat lands in a wrong spot. Anything like that, anything that I can find to just improve my precision by 5% or by 1%, because that's what it's about. That's the difference between a good bassist who can play and who can make a groove hit and Pino Palladino. That's where the gap is, is in these tiny details, these 1% and 0.1% details that make the difference between a great level of consistency, and a world-class level of consistency. And that's where I'm trying to be as a bass player. I want to create the tightest groove that I can every time I play. I'm not content to just make it feel okay. I want to make it feel great, and I want to make it feel great all the time. And that's why, I'm a, why I experiment with all kinds of different drum tracks, um, I've been doing this with a metronome also. I was doing this with a metronome a lot more last week and the week before. I kind of got into it with these drum loops and found a lot of inspiration there. So that's the direction I've been going lately. But finding as many different tools as you can to do this and finding as many different tools as you can to, to sort of review your playing and get an objective perspective and slowly refine over time, you will see results. With a lot of attention to detail, a lot of really careful attention to detail, you will see results from this kind of process. That's what I do to groove more like Pinot. What I do to sound more like Pinot is to play really, really slow. To practice extremely slow, as slow as I can stand it. The simplest things that I know. At that tempo or even slower, the easiest things to execute, getting into the deepest level of detail that I possibly can, really listening to myself, again, recording to myself, recording myself and listening back, making every note perfectly connected, making everything sound at the same volume every time. I'll sometimes even go as far as uh, looking at the audio waveform, recording myself playing like that and seeing which notes came out at a louder volume than others. Going into that level of detail and really refining the consistency in the time, in the sound, and in the dynamic control, in the sort of three pillars of great feel on the bass and the three pillars of great bass playing, in my opinion. I'll never stop talking about it. Time, sound, dynamics, rhythm, tone, volume, whatever words you want to use for it. That's really the important part. That's the most important part of the whole thing. And anybody listening to the podcast, I encourage you to try this. I really, really encourage you to record yourself. Try playing something really, really simple, something that's extraordinarily easy for you, a groove that you know, like the back of your hand, that you've played 100 times in the practice room, and that you've played 50 times on stage, and that you can just do it without even thinking about it. Record yourself, listen back, does it really sound as good as it feels to you? Do you really have that high a level of precision? Where are the inconsistencies? Where are the mistakes? Where are things that you can improve? Get into the details. Find those details. Find the 0.1% and work on that and work to improve it and see what kind of results you get over time by doing this. Work with a metronome. Work with a drum loop. Work jamming along with a recording. Any way you like to practice this stuff, The important part is to record yourself, listen, analyze, and get into the details. That's all I've got for you today. Till next time, let's all be better bass players together. If you're enjoying the show, highly suggest uh, head on over to betterbass.substack.com and get on the mailing list over there. You'll get every episode straight to your inbox. And the Substack is the real home of the podcast. It's the home of the discussion. If you'd like to leave a comment, if you'd like to leave me some feedback or suggestions for future episodes or anything you've got, any ideas, bass playing related, anything about Pino, maybe I missed something, maybe I missed a huge concept that's a big tenet of Pino's playing that you've heard that maybe I haven't perceived. I'd love to hear any of it. So head on over to betterbass.substack.com. Let's all be better bass players together once again, and I'll see you in the next episode.